Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. To me, the truth is always, you know, the utmost importance for me in in doing any character. But I find that genre interesting because it's extreme. Guys, you've been so patient. It happened. It's David Zayas. I I could say that it wasn't, but you know it because when you clicked on this episode, you saw in the title that David Zayas loves psychological thriller films. So you know that the special guest is David Zayas, who, of course, was Detective Angel Batista from the original Dexter series. He has now made an appearance here in Dexter New Blood. Appearing as well today is me, David Magadoff, who plays Teddy Reed. And of course, my wonderful co-host, the most amazing Claire Kramer. Hi, Claire. And I just play myself. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm playing me today, too. You, you're playing you. But, you know, Teddy Teddy is such a fun character. You, It must be really fun to learn to do all the interesting cop stuff that you get to do, right? Thank you, Claire. Uh, it it is in this episode. I do handcuff uh, the character who uh, who plays Miles, the drug dealer. In real life, they were like, "All right, David." I don't want to hear about on- your real life handcuffing experience, David. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not good. in. Okay, in my in my filmed life uh, handcuffing experience, the real life stuff I'll text you later, Claire. Okay, great. It's it's not as vivid as you think. So what I got to do was I got to learn how to handcuff. A guy and they had me like bring up the prop master would like lay on the ground, the dirty ground outside the cabin or the bar, the crystal bar that we were outside. And I felt so bad for this guy, but he's like, no, go for it. And I started like handcuffing <laughs> him. And it's it's hard to handcuff somebody, Claire. Have you ever? I mean, I don't want to get too detailed, but like, unless you, 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 he had chubby, he had chubby wrists. And he yeah. even told me, he's like, I got big wrists. And it's when you have big wrists, it's kind of hard to. I mean, they should make for, for theatrical purposes, they should make different size handcuffs. You know what I mean? Like, okay, one we got a big all. guy in here. Let's get the the jumbos out. You know? This but- is a one size fits all thing, apparently. And so anyway, I learned to do it. I felt great about it. I did it. And then, of course, the way it was shot. I love Marcos. It's a beautiful episode. By the way, we're going to have Marcos Siega, the director, Yay. on next week to I talk about wait. episode six. So uh, no spoiler there, just excitement. But uh, 
he did shoot it wonderfully, but did shoot it in a way where you'd have no idea that I'm handcuffing anybody. <laughs> but it's just <laughs> well, like, you probably got the knitting. coverage, but you know, it, and t- Teddy's handcuffing wasn't so pertinent to the episode. So sadly, it was lost. But you know what? Let's cross True. our fingers. It comes out on like the bonus DVD. Or, yes. you know, the Blu-ray. Well, let's talk about things that were pertinent to this wonderful episode five, Claire. Okay. Well, I'm going to start off by saying, you mentioned the director. I thought the kill party scene where Harrison takes the ecstasy and then takes the oxy knockoff blue pill was phenomenally shot. I was really blown away. I have not seen such. He must be a fan of the movie Go. Have you ever seen Go? Yes, okay. that is a very. I'm glad you're mentioning this, by the way, because this was also my favorite moment. He really lingered on Harrison's that steady cam. I think that was. I think it was just clearly attached to yeah. Jack Alcott, the actor. It was really beautifully shot. It was. It was wonderful. The, I actually felt like it's been many years since I've been on the party scene. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't want to shock anyone, but you know, I have a different life now. But I really felt like I was like back in New York at the limelight, like living it up with my glow sticks and my Vicks rub. And, (laughs) (laughs) and I, I was immersed in that sensation and that is awesome filmmaking or movie making or television making, whatever. I think the line is so blurred nowadays, you know, you can't really delineate between film and television except in time. So I really appreciated the time that he took with that scene. And, and of course, Jack was amazing. He is killing it as Harrison. I'm loving it. I love that scene. All the puns and Did you have any particular thoughts other than what I've said about that moment in the show? It's a, it's a great moment. I like the idea of a... I also just remember when I was reading the script, just this idea that there would be a party for all the people who are on a list. Like a kill list party is both like this really fun, funny odd, sad concept that I thought was just like the idea of it is just a great mm-hmm. a great thing to put in, in the show. Mm-hmm. I just like this group of people who are now bonded in this weird way because in their minds they, they were a part of this kill list. And I guess let's on some level you're like, yeah, I guess there is this this it's not quite a survivor or survivor mentality, you know, the idea of like what happens to the person who walks away from from the train wreck when other people don't. But I, they, they always tell you, you know, what those people do walk away with a little bit of a, a trauma to associate it. And so well, they're young. it's fun that as a teenager, they're like, let's have a party. Yeah, they're teenagers. <laughs> they're going to party it up. I like it. I, <laughs> I liked everything about that scene. I thought it was great. Harrison, interestingly, okay, so I was kind of thinking about episode four, the H is for hero, and thinking about like in this episode, we see Dexter, Jim Dexter, find the like straight blade that Harrison used in the attack on Ethan. And funny enough, it was a straight blade that the Trinity killer used to kill Rita in Mm. the episode where young Harrison is left much like his father was when Dexter's mom was killed, left in the bathroom with Rita massacred, waiting for someone to come rescue discover her dead body and rescue him so he's gone back i don't know if it was from listening to the mary fucking kill podcast or what but he's he's got this straight blade we don't know when he got it and that is that was his weapon of choice so i thought that was interesting oh yeah they're great 
they're great with the callbacks and the themes uh, for the original series, which of course is what every fan keeps looking for, which is why it's so great to have David Zayas appear in this episode. Yes. I mean, okay, that was definitely, even though I knew he was going to be in the episode. We did. We knew. We did. But I didn't, I kind of lost track about, you know, was he in episode seven, six, five? Uh, So I was still surprised to see him. It was a great way. It was really the only reason the girls, you know, went to New York, I felt. You know what I mean? So he could have that moment. So I'm kind of hoping, because it was classic angel behavior, a little bit of flirty, a little bit of like, Yeah, the Whoa, flirting. Yeah, the fl- flirting with the, with the strong boss. The Me Too <laughs> movement is now here. So Angel's got to tone it down a little bit. <laughs> you know, I don't know if he'd survive as well. But it's classic Angel. He hasn't really changed that much. It, you could see a sadness in him from what happened in the past. I like that. I like that he's on the circuit now lecturing and like passing on his knowledge. I hope that we see him. I hope he helps Detective Bishop more. You know, I hope we get to see him. I don't know if we will. You don't have to say, David, because I'm like I'm like the the viewing audience out there. I, I do not <laughs> know what's happening. So I would say that that to me, otherwise, the trip for Molly and Bishop was kind of like, eh, I didn't. Uh, yeah, they bonded a little bit. Yeah, we know Molly likes spas and she likes to like do her thing. But I didn't really it was kind of like filler in a way, that whole sure. storyline. But then the you know, the moment that David appeared made it obviously worthwhile. So Oh yeah. He's he's such a pleasure A to have on this podcast. He's as charming and in, in real life persona as you guys will see very soon as he is on on the show. And he was a cop. He was a cop. Anyway, we'll get to David Zayas. Yes, we'll get um, to him. I I also really loved in this episode, I don't know how you feel, Claire. I love seeing Kurt. Now that we know that Kurt is a not so nice guy, aka a serial killer, just seeing how he goes about doing his things and seeing the psychological issues that he deals with on a daily basis of how he, you know, when he goes dancing in the bar, when he's feeling great, that he just got a new girl. The runaway, back the song the too is like, yeah, oh, creepy. And then when she doesn't do the things that he wants her to do, and how he gets frustrated, it's a really, it kind of is it. It's is it fun for you? It creeps me out. It gets tingles because you're just like, what is the profile of a serial killer? And they probably really. You know, this show more than any really understands the profiles of serial killers and and has fun with it. Well, I think, okay, so last week we talked about how this whole arc for Dexter is about the father-son relationship, right? And relationships in general. I'm feeling like that's the overtone of like what Dexter's lesson in these 10 episodes is going to be, is how to manage relationships. Because he failed with that back in Miami. So I like the juxtaposition of... Kurt Caldwell, who is not, has never learned to control his dark passenger, who doesn't have any sort of system. He has a regiment that he does. I like that they have him in his, you know, the ski mask and the sniper white camo because it speaks to the same way Dexter puts on, you know, the butcher apron and the gloves and everything. They both have their routines, but Kurt's is based out of just pleasure and Dexter's is based on a system of his own morals and ethics 
but also, you know, also a system to not get them caught. So I really find it interesting that they're taking both these characters and bringing them. Harrison is like the bottom of that little trifecta triangle there. And both of them are trying to influence Harrison, Kurt from, you know, an untrained killer point of view, Dexter from his training that he went through with his father to control his dark passenger. I also think it's interesting, and I don't know if you kind of picked up on this, before Kurt ever kills the girls, he gives them money, a way to leave. He offers them a job. Yeah. And and, and then it's like, okay, well, fine. If you can't help yourself, I don't know. There's something there. I haven't identified it, but it did make me a little nervous at the end when he gave a job application to Harrison because I feel like True. he's going to bring Harrison in. He wants to bring Harrison to his side of what's happening, and Dexter is trying, with Deb's help, is trying to save Harrison from demise by the dark passenger. David, yeah. thoughts? Did he just... Did he just lose a son and he's trying to sort of help another young boy in the way that he couldn't help his son? Or is this something that he is doing on his serial killer? It's a serial inside? killer. He doesn't want to kill Harrison, though. He wants to bring Harrison over to hit, to have a, you know, a partner in crime. Now, or who does knows? He? Who knows? Well, this this is my hypothesis. I, <laughs> Matt, I do like the Claire theories. Yeah. They always make me smile. Matt, his real son, was never, was too rebellious to ever be trained. He never had the fear of Kurt. He didn't have the fear of that father-son relationship. And so I don't think he was ever able to open up to Matt. But I think Kurt realizes that there's a moment to do that a way to do that with Harrison and to have yes. to mimic that relationship he wished he could have had with Matt. Yes. I think that's, that's, that's what I'm watching. That's what I'm seeing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I love that our two serial killers both did not get what they want this episode. They both, it got botched for yeah. each of them, Yes, you know? And I thought that was fun to see that motif and just see that, you know, that symmetry. And also and, that Dexter considered it a sacrifice that he couldn't kill in his yeah. normal way. He had to like pretend it was a drug overdose. Well, they both want a certain uh, serial killers, as we learn with this show, this show more than anything in a, in a safe, interesting way and versus actually doing it ourselves. We get to watch these wonderful writers kind of take us through what happens when serial killers don't get what they want. And I'm sure, you know, it, it's incredibly unsatisfying. But what is satisfying is the rest of this episode because mm -hmm. we have on, like I said, David Zayas from Oz, Law and Order, Dexter, Gotham, Bloodline, Blue Bloods. Uh, and he's going to talk with us about psychological thriller films, which does include a lot of serial killer films, my friends. So this is a real <laughs> you can say it happy serial killer dexter kind of day for you so please enjoy david do you own a panic room <laughs> well i have a, a little like man cave which is kind of like my panic room but um but except for my <laughs> wife emotionally emotional panic yeah, room <laughs> ex except that my wife can walk in anytime she wants basically that's that's so it's i don't know how much of a panic room it is but um yeah I have a little room for myself. That's nice. That's good. You you can call it an emotional panic room. Okay, just to be clear, today we are talking about David's love of psychological thrillers, not slashers, not horror movies, not Halloween movies, not anything with maybe, you know, a big 
a parent ghost or a Tim Burton movie, but a psychological thriller. <laughs> how do you define a psychological thriller, David? You know, here's, here's how I define it. So my dad, who's no longer with us, told me that his first date with my mom was in 1960 to see Psycho, Alfred Hitchcock's mm. Psycho. So me romantic. being, I'm very romantic, <laughs> me being, uh, <laughs> just being fascinated by that as a kid, I went to see Psycho in movies in Manhattan back in the 70s used to have these old movies where they used to show old movies and uh, I used to go to a lot of them and I saw Psycho and that is probably the first uh, film that I, I said, oh, this is not just a horror movie. This is, this goes deep. I'm interested in this. This goes deep. You know, and uh, since since then, I've you know I've, I've been able to identify the ones that are my favorites, and I revisited it when I got cast in Dexter because I was like, ah. I need to, because I'm the type I need to go in. You know, if I'm if I'm playing a, a a general dictator, I have to go and study dictators and just to, you know, I just like to know what's what's going on in their minds. You know, so it's it's uh, when I got Dexter, I said. Oh, and I started watching all these other films that I had watched, I've seen before, but now I'm looking at it at different in a different way. I think you just actually gave the best definition of psychological thriller I've ever heard. And I don't even think you know you did it, but <laughs> but it's when it's a human preying on a human. Yes. Versus like a natural disaster or versus, you know, a spirit or, you know, something where suspension of disbelief is required right. with with a psychological thriller, there is no suspension of disbelief. No. It could happen. Yes. It could happen, which is why, oh my gosh, you're like the luckiest artist in the world to get to work on something in the genre that you absolutely love. Yes. So diverging for just one second, when you were cast in the original Dexter run, what and you started doing this research, what was what was going on in your mind, David? Well, you know, I, I auditioned for Dexter and when uh I got called to go to LA to test for it, I immediately bought the book, Darkly Dreaming Dexter, and I, I read the book. And I'm like, oh my God, I love this book. This book goes deep into like, you know, it was violent, but it was also very psychological. And, you know, it just reminded me when I was young and I read Silence of the Lambs, you know, the Thomas Harris novel, Silence of the Lambs. I was just, I couldn't put it down. I was, it was fascinated. So yeah, that was, that was what it was. I auditioned and then uh, I, I read the book and I went in and auditioned and I was lucky enough to get cast in it. Would you be more excited to read the script when it came in or would you be more excited to be on set? <laughs> Both. I mean, you know, I've been on shows that reading the script is an event because you don't know what's going to happen to your character. So, you know, I was on a show, Oz, about prison, and every script, we'd be like, am I getting killed? Am I getting <laughs> raped? When am I dappening? What's going on? I make it through. On? I make it oh, through. I made it through this episode. And on Dexter, because my role was outside of the mentality of a serial killer, but it was interesting to read the script to see, you know, how I could not see it. My character could not see it. So that's what I was looking for when I started getting scripts every week. Like, is he purposely ignoring the truth or seeing, uh, you know, evidence and not because Dexter was a friend of Angel Batista? I don't know. But it was that I found reading those scripts, that's what I was looking for. 
Is it a practice of yours? Because it is a practice of mine. If something's being made into a film and there's a book, I like to read the book first and then I like to go see the film. So do you tend to make a practice of that or are those just kind of anomaly situations? Uh, no, I'd like to read the book except for Dexter. I didn't know there was a book. I, I wasn't aware. I actually didn't either until yeah. right now. And I'm like going to order it as soon as we're done with this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he he does a lot of all the Ds, dearly devoted Dexter, darkly dreaming Dexter, you know, so that's, that's what he does. But I mean, when I, I read the pilot for the series first, and then I'm like, I gotta, I gotta learn more about this. So I bought the book, which by the way, the book has all the characters, but it's a different story than the series, mm -hmm. you know? So Michael's character, Dexter is now called Jim Lindsay yeah. in the new Dexter new blood, which is a homage to Jeff. the author, Jeff yes. Lindsay. Of the of the book, so it's fun. By the way, his only cameo was a scene with me in a hospital. Jeff Lindsay ah. was uh, in one of the scenes, a little cameo. Good guy, very good guy. That's fun. Yeah, very smart man. Hi there, it's Julia Louis Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, so you mentioned Psycho. You mentioned Silence of the Lambs. What are the things that really attract you to the psychological thriller? Like what components does the film need to have? Because there's certainly a lot of failed attempts at psychological thrillers out there. Does it does it need to be based on a true story? Does the lead character need certain traits that somehow make them endearing even though they're evil? Like what are what are your thoughts? Uh, my, my thought is it, it doesn't have to be actual events because I've read some scripts and some books of actual events that kind of lean towards the slash. It just, it just didn't grab me. I think what I really look at is, can I identify with that guy? Is he likable in some way? How does, does he distribute his mental awareness of what he's doing? You know, those are the things that interest me. And also the other side of how does law enforcement actually track these people down and what it entails. It, it could entail a law enforcement official to kind of have that kind of kind of sick, those sick thoughts uh, that a serial killer might have. And so that's the kind of that's what if, if I if I like the character, I'm more interested in them because of all the horrific things that he or she does, you know. Mm -hmm. Do you love to just guess along the way or do you try to shut that part of your brain off when you're no, watching? No, I, I, I have, I, I'm able to compartmentalize everything while I'm watching. Like what, what did these law enforcement people do that I wouldn't do or what, you know, or, or something that I thought of. I never, I, I, I don't usually 
put myself in the, the serial killer's uh, mind because I want to discover that as I'm watching it. Yeah, you know, I want to be. I want to be surprised uh, in watching it. You know, uh, what I try to really get comfortable with is the steps to catch them. You know, that's that that's interesting to me. I definitely agree with the steps to catch them. Like that's like its own like science, you know, mm. that's why I've watched forensic files, like the original, right. you know, <laughs> science show since way back a couple decades ago. But the thing about the, I don't want to say hero character, the antagonist protagonist, it's kind of like a combination when you're talking about a psychological thriller, I guess mm -hmm. sometimes yeah. is it does lead you to think of like where we can go as humans. Right. Like we all have so much social conditioning and we all have, so many societal rules and also our own morals and ethics. Mm -hmm. But these people seem to be able to like, just, yeah. I don't know, their ego allows them. So what, what is it about like that sort of study of that mind frame that to, appeals to you? Right. To me, uh, what I've noticed in, in all the script, all the movies that I've seen about it and all the books that I read about it is they have an very high regard for justification. What I find interesting is, like, for example, you know, Dexter kills and he usually kills people that have gotten away with something, you know, and... Um, His so, father taught him a code. A code. There's a code. There's a code. Yes. But really, the code is just an act that they want, because if you're going to do that, you're kind of, you're all screwed up and you're crazy anyways. Yes, it's a code. I never believed that Dexter believed in the code. I always felt that he used that to just to stay out of the limelight somewhat, you know, and not get caught. A convenient excuse, maybe. Yeah, kind of, you know. Um, well, the code fit society's excuse that allowed him. So it really, it really wasn't about him. It was really about his father coming to terms with the fact that his son was a killer and how do I justify that being okay and yeah. not turning him in? Right. You know what I mean? Yes. Which is why the dad... Keeps re and now I'm curious with Dexter's son, mm -hmm. what is which they showed in the trailer mm -hmm. for this season, Dexter New Blood, has the dark passenger been passed on? I don't know yet. I don't know. The apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, though. But you ah, never know. Spoilers. But you never know. No, no, I don't. I know nothing about the new, uh, the whole storyline of Dexter. David, Does do you know what happens in the new one? Yeah. No, I Between don't. Between you and me and whoever's listening, I honestly don't know what happens because I, I'm. I'm excited to talk to you at the end because I right. I know what happens, and so I'm very curious yeah. to see what uh, you, what your thoughts are on it. So we'll we'll do a recap. Yeah, <laughs> cool. I got just basic information of, and then I went and did my scenes, and you know, that would that would, I, I have no idea. Nice. What so you the get story to be a fan is. on this. Yes, I look forward nice. to it. Nice. You get to be a you get to enjoy the psychological thriller of right. it. Right. And see, knowing that character so well, I'm gonna find it even more interesting. Because I want to, I want to see how that aligns with the first eight years that we did the show, and has he learned anything from that? Has he, you know, what is his mental state? I'm interested to see all that. I don't know any of that. Cool, yeah. cool. Yeah. Aside from Dexter, it does seem like one of the predominant traits of people who are willing to kill or people who are willing to capture or you know torture is just a huge inflated ego and what people commonly refer to as narcissism, which I think is a term that's thrown around way too much, right. you know, but I don't know. What do you think about that trait being a unifying trait? 
for you to be a serial killer, I don't think you need to be a narcissist. I don't, I don't believe that. I mean, I, I, narcissist can be a CEO of a big company. You never, you know, it's uh, narcissism is not a, it's not permission to do violent acts and to kill people. I never looked at it as, as that. Yes, ego, uh, I feel has more of an impact than, you know, narcissism, the ego, which is all, which part of the definition, but, I, I always found that I never felt Dexter was a narcissist. That's just, you know, my opinion. All right. Stephen King. Yes. What do we think of his movies? Or books. A lot of them are great. I love I love Stephen King. You know, like uh, like Pet Cemetery and Misery. And, you know, and then, then he's written like Shawshank Redemption or The Green Mile. You know, so he goes deep also. And, and, and the great thing about reading a Stephen King book that you can't really, it's, it's almost impossible to get 100% of that in a movie is he goes into the minds of his characters, into the minds. So when you're reading, you kind of read what they're thinking. In movies, you just see what they're doing, you know? And so, uh, I think Stephen King is, is a genius. You know, he's not the one that directs or writes even the screenplays of his movies. But his books are awesome. Yeah. The extended version of The Stand is one of my all-time yeah. favorite books. Yeah. I, I love it. I agree. He's a genius. And Thinner, one of his lesser-known properties, mm-hmm. is probably one of the biggest psychological thrillers, yeah. you yeah. know, about losing, like, just crazy. Anyway, David, go ahead. I know you have more. I'm going to give you a rapid fire. You ready? A what? Go ahead. Go for it. A, a rapid fire. And you can say pass if you hadn't seen the movie, or you can give me a quick, like, hey, one minute uh, or one second, you know, review of it okay, real fast. Okay. That's my hope is you've seen a lot of these. How about uh, Gone Girl? Gone Girl, uh, it, it was, uh, that was, that's Fincher, right? Fincher directed that? Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Fincher because he, he keeps the suspense in everything that he does. So, yeah, I found it to be suspenseful. I kind of was a little dissatisfied with how it ended or the twist of it. Yeah. It just didn't have enough scenes to earn that twist, in my opinion. You know, you didn't love it. It's fine. We're not here. Right, right. We're, I'm not David Fincher. All right. Cape Fear. Uh, the, which one? The, the old one or the new one? The original with Juliette Lewis. That's not the original. The original is, oh, is the, with yeah, Gregory. Yeah, that was the De Niro right. one. The original original. It's with Gregory Peck. Yeah, the original yes. one uh, I felt uh, with Robert Mitchum and Gregory Peck was brilliant. And Cape Fear, the Martin Scorsese directed one from 1991, I found, I mean, Robert De Niro just was amazing in it. You know, it was a chance to create a character and and he transformed his body. And, you know, it it was, I feel it was more, I don't know, I, I like the older one, the older version better. Because they just kept in the, they were, it was more psychological in the, in the 1962 one. De Niro definitely played it overtly, but like the part where he's on the undercarriage of the car and you're like, what yeah. is going on? Yeah. He is like clinging onto that car for miles and miles. It's an amazing it, it, yeah. movie. So yeah. it, 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 I, I, I love both versions of it. The 1962 one, I was able to like, just kind of relax and observe the behavior of the uh, in- insane Robert Mitchum character, you know. But yeah, 
Cape Fear is, is, is one. I, I like it. Solid. Yeah, solid. All right, going with fear. How about primal fear? Primal fear, uh, you know, the, it's, I, I, don't, I don't really, it, it, I didn't really look at it in that category. Mm. Um, Me neither. I mean, that the, the transformation, see, that's the thing. The transformation of Edward Norton in that scene when he actually just changes his personality, that was earned because it actually, I didn't know anything about the film when I went to see it. And uh, I was like, okay, is this guy innocent? Maybe he was forced to do it by somebody. And then I realized, oh no, he's he's psychotic. <laughs> he's definitely, <laughs> he's there's something going on with, with this kid. And, and it's scary because, you know, you, you, you know that they're out there in real life, you know? That it could just in a, in a, in just in the drop of a dime it could it could switch over. But another one I really enjoyed, Primal Fear was was very good. Single white female. Single white female I thought was very interesting, but it was more of a someone who is um, just obsessed with someone else, and in that obsession causes her to kill people but it, it's not to me i didn't find her to be a serial killer even though in definition maybe she was but it was more about the obsession of, of becoming being, the other right person. the other person yeah. so we're looking so we're narrowing it down i think to serial killers is this what we're sort of it's maybe a little less of a psychological thriller and more you like serial killer based thrillers no, not really, because listen, Jason from Friday the Thirteenth is a serial killer, and it's to me it doesn't have the substance, mm, in my opinion, the substance of what leads them or how they could identify with the audience. When you go see Friday the Thirteenth or Halloween, Mike Myers, you're just getting ready to see a bloodbath because that's what's <laughs> that's what's going to happen. So, but you know, and they 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 touch on the psychological, but it does is not strong enough to actually consider them uh, cuz but they are serial killers but it's not I don't really put it in that category. Does there have to be a twist? No. And is it more fun if there is one? Uh it's more fun. It's fun if there is one, but it doesn't have to be. Like uh Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which was in mm-hmm. in 19 in, in the mid 80s. You know, it's so good. It's so good. But it's slow. Michael Rooker is so good in that. But it's amazing. It's a slow progression. It's not, there's no, I don't feel that there's any twist. You know what this guy is in the beginning of the movie, and you know what he is at the end of the movie, and it's the the actions that he takes and his interactions with, you know, friends or people that are close to him. Uh, I find, I mean, that was a very interesting film about psychological serial killers, I believe. Is M. Night Shyamalan's films in the category of the psychological thriller for you, or it, not quite? They are, but not not in serial not serial killers or anything like that, or not murderers, and not something that switches someone. You know, like Psycho was a twist. You know, if you if you, I mean, I knew a lot about it before I went in to see it, so it wasn't that shocking to me. But I can imagine in 1960 the twist yeah. of what what they saw. But no, it doesn't doesn't have to be uh i just uh it could be a psychological thriller that doesn't have a serial killer that i find in like a lot of brian de palma films have a lot of twists and a lot of psychological drama into it you know it usually involves death and 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 murder you know but not not always and i'm trying to think of a film that may not have had that that's well how about this david 
you're talking to 15 year old me or how about current me mm-hmm. and you're just like hey david you have to see these three these are the three okay psychological thrillers that you have to see before you die what are they um i would say if 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 you were 15 i would say the first thing you should see is uh psycho american psycho which is an, which is like that's something that Brett Easton Ellis, yeah. right? And 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 there's a film by David Fincher that it's it's a true uh, account of uh, Zodiac called Zodiac from 2007 that uh, David Fincher also directed with Mark Ruffalo and that movie kind of gives you a template on you know the investigation the, the law enforcement side of tracking down this killer. And and I found that to be really uh, interesting. So those cool. it would be those three, I would say. Psycho, American mm-hmm. Psycho, and Zodiac. I love it. Yeah. And how often are you watching these movies? Will you just turn them on while you're cooking? Or do you have to be <laughs> sitting and <laughs> no, uh, focus? No, I'm a movie buff. I am a big Turner Classic movie. So I watch everything. It's not just this. But this is something that I felt, this subject is something that I really looked into when I got cast and Dexter you know it wouldn't be I wouldn't say oh that's the top of my list you know because I like you know dramas comedies I'm I'm you know across the board movie lover you know um but in when I do get a uh I'm lucky enough to get a role I really uh you know dive into trying to find out something inside and what better way than movies that and what quicker way than movies uh, but I just, I don't, I, I, when I watch a movie, I just watch it. I don't want to be interrupted. I'm not cooking while I'm watching it. I'm, I'm watching it. And sometimes I'll rewind moments to see, did I miss something there? And I'll rewind it. And so I, I really study it when I watch movies, regardless of what the movie is. With your research that you've done in this arena, have you come across a character either in a novel or perhaps, you know, a nonfiction character that you read a news article about where the property hasn't been adapted yet and you could see it being adapted and you could see yourself playing that lead character? Oh, you mean like in real life? Like some that I've read in real real life? life, Or it could be a fiction book, either way. But I want to know, have you, do you have a character in mind in this genre that you want to play eventually that, that has not been done? That has not been done. Wow. You know, I don't look at it like what, what's not been done. I just think about I, what, what fascinates me is the take and how they tell the story. Mm-hmm. How they tell, like, for example, there's this Netflix show called Mindhunters. And, 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 it, and it, it goes to every, uh, you know, uh, serial killer that, it, that happened. It has these two guys examining each serial killer, whether it's Ed Kempner or, you know, the different... It was a it was a fantastic show, and I found it so fascinating from the law enforcement side. How FBI? How they? How did they break everything down? Why is one thinking one way, and then the other one is more intent into trying to get into that? Like you know, what what makes them tick? What makes them mm-hmm. tick? And sometimes it'll take the law enforcement person into a dark side. You know, because in mm-hmm. order to get into that mindset, you have to really, you know, commit yourself. And so that's, that's I think, I, to me, the ideal role I would like to play is someone who is not just after to catch them, 
you know, is, is to actually explore the mind of this person. And in doing that, then you're able to catch him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's what into like the Jodie Foster character in Silence of the Lambs. I was just going to say, would you rather yeah. be Jodie Foster or Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs? I'd rather be Jodie Foster. It shows so many things because it's, there was, it was such a courageous character, such a character that actually, but it did not, you know, it wasn't, she wasn't Dirty Harry. She was a nervous wreck, especially towards the end of that film. Oh, that scene where yeah. she's like in the dark, in the she dark. can't see, the well and is in there. She's a, what, like... It's yeah, because you know someone like you know Clint Eastwood, uh, they they just be really cool and collect. She was like right. she was like you know just terrified, which is what the reality would be. So to me, real always more powerful to me than just something outrageous, something that that you know it's it's it has to do with what you're thinking, not what you're doing. Would you ever play the killer? I would. I listen. I play a lot of bad guys. <laughs> It's I either play a cop or a bad guy. It's not very. There's very little I uh, play, but yes, I do. And in in doing that, I always try to play the opposite of what the obvious would be. You know, I always try. Okay, this is the obvious. Or I'm playing this bomb expert. It's obvious I could play. You know, but what is he thinking? What what's what's not obvious? And that is what I try to explore, sometimes successfully and sometimes unsuccessfully. That's just the way it is. I think more successfully. Thank you, David. Thank you. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. So your respect for the film is quite evident and quite beautiful. And thank you for sharing. Thank you. And so I think you'll respect this question because of the nature of what we're talking about. So I always like to get into the why, like why do you love psychological thrillers? And I think you touched on it a little where your dad took out your mom to see Psycho, <laughs> Psycho. <laughs> the most romantic of dates yeah. many years ago. Hey. Would you say that really sticks with you as to what love is about? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Right. I was, if you had a, If you had to analyze why you keep coming back to serial killer movies, psychological thrillers. Mm-hmm. What is it that is scratching your itch? What is it that makes you feel comfortable probably in those moments? Well, I'll, 
you know, I'll uh, preface that answer by saying that, I, you know, I was a New York City police officer, you know, for 15 years. And then I went into acting. So I was a cop in New York. And I even before I became an actor, I was always interested in the mind of someone that can do something so horrible and something so, you know, uh, brutal. When I had the opportunity to go into homicide, I also then discovered acting. And I decided to just put all my energy. I mean, I did. I still worked as a cop. I did a midnight shift. And then during the day was all about my career and acting and trying to, you know, find um, every. So to me, the truth is always, you know, the utmost importance for me in, in doing any character. But I find that genre interesting because it's extreme. I mean, I like sports movies, I like love stories, I like romantic comedies too, you know? And, and you can go deep in that if it's, if it's well done. But the whole uh, psychological aspect of movie making or movie watching is not even about shock value because the deer hunter, that Russian roulette scene in the deer hunter, as shocking as it was, I understood the situation that they were in and I just wanted to see what they were, how they were going to react in that moment. How, how people react in the moment of extreme pressure and extreme danger, I find interesting. How they handle it, how the actor handles that part is, is really interesting. Well, and as an, as an artist, those are the like most unique moments to prepare for. And I almost think like you can't really make any decisions about how you're going to, what you're going to do on camera because in life, like you said with Jodie Foster, that's what made that scene so believable is her nervousness, is her anxiety. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't, yeah. you can't prepare for those big, big moments. I don't feel, I think you just have to go in and if you're riding no. the wave of the character and the situation, then whatever comes out, that's mm -hmm. how the character would have reacted. That's how, a human would have reacted. I, absolutely. And and it's truthful. Real truth comes in the darkness, right. not in the light, right. in my opinion. You know, and so it's something that uh to go to that dark side, you know, it's and it like it doesn't have to be serial killers. It could be a normal, you know, it could be Charles Bronson in Death Wish that he's a business architect, he's a businessman, and something happens that triggers him into being a really a serial killer because mm -hmm. that's what he was. And so it's 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 always about it's it's not about the result, it's about how mm -hmm. you get there. You know, when it when it comes to those kind of I things. Love it. You know? That's great, yeah. David. Uh, wow. I love that your two loves of being a a law enforcement officer, a, a policeman, and you've been able to do that you know, and such a significant story and you get to put yourself back in those shoes every time you watch these movies. I think it's very cool. Very Absolutely. Cool. Um, it's the human condition, you know, and, and the human condition is something interesting when it's not something that you've thought about or if not something that your normal life has, you know, I've, I'm surrounded by love. I'm surrounded by, but, you know, I don't like, you know, my daughter is the same way. And my daughter loved Reservoir Dogs when she was eight years old. I didn't know she was watching it, right? But there's something that she has that I'm glad she's able to express because if you keep it inside, 
you know, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you just hit the nail on the head also. It's like, I have a happy life. I'm a happy person. I'm very pretty much boring. When I sit down at night, I want to think about something other than the situations I'm going through in my life every day. And that is the psychological thriller. (laughs) Yeah, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, David. So we end every podcast with what we think is a beautiful moment with a love letter. So if you'd be so kind as to share your love letter to psychological thrillers. Dear psychological thriller, please keep me guessing. Please keep me trying to understand what's in your mind and how you avoid getting caught and your justification for doing the horrible things that you do, because I know it just doesn't come spontaneous. It's It's a lot of thought put into it. And I'm trying to get into your mind to see if there is something that's relatable that will then put me on that journey with you. And understand that I always try to find truth in everything that's done. Love, David. I love it. <laughs> Beautiful. And there was no twist at the end of that letter. It was just straight and good. No twist. It was, it's, yes, it was no twist. That was great. That was really, really enjoyable. Yes. David. Thank you, David. Thank you so much. Thank you. Claire, one might say that was a thrill. <laughs> or one might, or one, <laughs> I can't I even go you. there, David. <laughs> um, you know, I actually share this affiliation. I I do love this genre. I love reading the books. I love watching the movies. I also am a movie and TV person. I'll have it on in the background. I'll also have it on in the foreground. I, I you know, it doesn't matter. I'm, I love film and television. And this is definitely my favorite genre. When I want to relax and have a sense of escapism, I go to psychological thrillers. He mentioned Cape Fear. I have a funny story about Cape Fear. I auditioned for the Juliette Lewis role. Oh, way back when. Yes. Uh, it was what early, obviously very early in my career before I, you know, I was still a teenager in high school, but it was a crazy audition. And I remember it very clearly in New York City, and clearly I did not get that role. But what wouldn't that have been crazy if I did? <laughs> that would have been great. We wouldn't. See you, we would have had Julia uh, Lewis come on, and she would have been saying, "Oh, yeah, the Claire Kramer movie, right? <laughs> and yeah. she may be your co-host right been. now. She it would, would have been like my, my co-host, trading places with Julia Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> if only sliding doors, Claire, sliding doors. What is one of your favorite psychological thrillers, David? I think. Usual Suspects is in that category, yeah? I think so. I mean, it's certainly on a list. I Googled some lists. It's definitely on a list. I, I don't mean, know I love the it... ending. I mean, if you, you it, I really am all for the twist and the end. So what was, he's like, yeah, it's nice to have a twist. Kaiser Soze, yeah. Yeah, I, I live for the twist. I love an ending. I mean, Sixth Sense even, just like, oh my gosh, he's he's dead. I really... I can be, I can enjoy a bad movie with a great ending. I really can. Um, yeah. But he was a great podcast convo with a great beginning, middle, and end. Wasn't he just the best? I, I really, love him. I could listen I to his accent his all day. I character from the original Dexter run, and I'm so thrilled that he was plucked out yeah. of that whole group um, to make a cameo this season. Yeah. Yeah. And it could have been anyone. And he's... Uh, 
he's a delight. So speaking um, of casting, I wonder how many people auditioned for Dexter. Like, I wonder that's mm. always interesting, isn't it? When you hear like that, Eric Stoltz was the original, like Michael J. Fox in the Back to the Futures, or you know, I know with Bring It On, there were several actors that were fired when we were in like the rehearsal process who couldn't do like the dancing and the cheers and stuff. So like. I wonder who, I mean, we'll never know, but I wonder who else was up for that role. I feel like I could ask a couple questions. Because he's so perfect, Michael C. Hall. He's he's perfect as Dexter. I think I'm going to ask a couple questions. I think we can figure this out and, ha- and put it in the podcast soon. So uh, I, I know a few people. I think uh, we'll we'll get an answer to that. There won't be a twist ending on this one. We'll have a firm, confident end of who was really? there. Sometimes now- they don't reveal that info, though, what? because, you know, it's like kind of weird if, if somebody you know, more well-known than Michael C. Hall at that time. Although from Pushing Daisies or whatever, he was like really beloved. Six feet under. But Pushing Daisies is, I feel like, the untitled, or I could see that being the original original script title for (laughs) Six Feet Under. I like Pushing Daisies. That's a good one. Yeah, uh, maybe that was the book. I don't know. I I don't (laughs) know where I came up with that. Anyway, point is, Michael C. Hall is perfect as Dexter. Anthony Hopkins is perfect as Hannibal Lecter. Uh, Robert De Niro was perfect as the character in Cape Fear. And David and Zayas was perfect as Angel Batista. David and Zayas you're perfect for absolutely being perfect. my co-host. And oh, you're, thanks, David. And you are almost perfect. I'll take <laughs> you're, it. I'll you're take clinging it. on the right there, you know? I know. I need to work out a little more. I get it. I'm just kidding. You're perfect. <laughs> and you guys are a perfect audience. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next Monday as we continue Fanatics, the Dexter episodes. Woohoo! And before you guys go, coming up next week on Fanatics, the Dexter episodes, we have Johnny Sequoia. Yes, of course, Johnny is on Dexter New Blood, but you also know her from Believe, an American housewife. And Johnny will be talking about her fanaticism for making pies. Thank you for listening to Fanatics, a Roddenberry podcast. For more episodes and info, head over to wearefanatics.com or tweet your Fanatics thoughts and stories at wearefanatics. Yes, that's we are F-A-N-A-D-D-I-C-T-S. Our show is hosted by Claire Kramer and me, David Magadoff. Produced by me, Claire Kramer, and Kelsey Goldberg. Executive producers Trevor Roth and Rod Roddenberry. Our sound engineer and editor is Elizabeth Joy Windham. And you can thank Stephen Mudd for our theme song. Catch us next Thursday for another Fanatics episode. Sometime podcasts are scary, which means ukulele songs need to be scary. But not this one. I like that, David. See, I I did a twist because of our conversation today. (laughs) It was good. It worked. (laughs) One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. (laughs) AutoTrader.